enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. And thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of In the Sheds on Code with Kingy, where for today's show, we are joined by the Bay of Plenty Steamers and Hurricanes Chase Tier Tier. Over the next 40 minutes, the utility back tells me about what enticed him to make the move north to the Mount, what it was like making a Super Rugby debut against the British and Irish Lions, and just how tough it was for him when he first moved back to Wellington to play for the Canes while he was only a member of the wider squad. So again, Fano, without me giving too much away, I'll let you hear from the man himself. Enjoy. All right, but why don't we um, kick it off with where you grew up and how you started playing footy? I grew up in Wellington, um, born and bred from Wellington. Um, played all my junior rugby for Huddleboys Masts. Um, went to Havili High School, my first year of college, and then moved to St. Pat's football stream for my last four years, um, and then went back to Huddleboys when I finished. Um, and then was lucky enough to play my first year out of school for Wellington Lions, played a few games for Wellington Lions. Um, and then the next year, uh, made the Samoa 20s team, went to Italy for a World Cup, came home and then got an opportunity up in the Bay of Plenty to play for the Bay of Plenty Steams. So I've been there for five years now, going on six. Had two seasons with the Chiefs, but I only played one game and then um, the rest have been down in Wellington, um, holding the bag for the Hurricanes. A bit more than Canada, bro, but we'll, we'll start right at the start, man. So. You mentioned how you started at high before switching to the best school in New Zealand, St. Pat's Silverstream. So what sort of, like, what, what made you switch schools, bro? Was it for footy? Was it for education? Yeah, yeah, it was mainly for rugby. Eh? Like, I, I went there. Uh, like, it's a good school if, like, you want to go and learn that. But, like, I wanted to, like, play sports and, like, their sporting programs weren't the best. Um, so I needed to find a way to like, push my career forward so I was like I need to get to a rugby school and um, it just so happened that Silverstream took me in yeah accepted me did you know many of the boys before you um before you went to stream yeah I, I knew I knew a few of the boys um, um I was with um Keanu Moran at Hut High so like we both left Hut High together to go to um Silverstream but yeah I don't know I meant too many boys there so you, I mean, you describe yourself as someone who carries a bag, but you typically, you know, without sort of blowing too much smoke up your ass, like you've pretty much been a gun, I guess, or better than most players, bro. So you go to stream and, like, how did you enjoy the first of being experience here, for, you know, for those that aren't too familiar with it? Well, to be fair, I don't really play too much of first of being, eh? I didn't get along with the um, first, of being, first of being coach at the time. He wasn't a big fan of how I played. I wasn't too big around like structures and stuff like that. I'd sort of just play what in front of me. So I think I played two years of first fifteen, and the first half of my first year, I was all like always going second fifteen, and then it was just towards the back end of the um, season that we um, that I started getting opportunity first fifteen, ended up winning that winning it that year, which was awesome. You mentioned that about how you're a guy that plays with a bit of flair and prefers to play what's in front of him rather than having sort of a set structure, like, I guess we'll probably get to it sort of later on, but, like, when you sort of go up the levels, is that something that, well, how do coaches embrace, like, the, the X-Factory stuff 
we know. What is it like at that next level? Oh, like the further you go up the line, like the further or the more they want you to like enhance your skills and work on your weaknesses. But I found it was like my strengths that were getting me places. So I try to keep working on them to keep carrying me through and then work on the um, like my weaknesses as I developed as a player, but making sure that I didn't lose myself along the way. Because like, I always enjoyed like carrying the ball and running the ball, so I made sure that I always worked on those sort of skills and then sort of let the defence like, take care of itself later on because that was sort of my weakness. So I played a better brand of footy personally when like the coach just sort of gives me a bit of freedom. Like, says, this is, a, this is the game plan, but if you see an opportunity to just go out there and just like take the opportunity that presents itself, so... Yeah, like if the coach just gives me free reins to do whatever I want, I'm normally a happy, happy player, as long as I don't take it too far, I guess, yeah. Playing within your means. All right, so finish up at school, and then you go and you go back to your junior club, Hutt. Uh, you guys had a pretty hissing year that year. Uh, you go on to win the Jubilee, and you yourself had a pretty good season. Like, what went into it with that? I mean, it's not, it's not all that often that you see a lot of sort of school boys sort of just rocking in. A premier grade and sort of I don't know playing so well. So what sort of culminated in that performance and what was that experience like for you? Bro, it was to be fair, bro. It was pretty tough. Eh? Like, I come out of school thinking that like, I was a pretty decent rugby player, and then I get to like premier rugby and fuck, it's just a whole other level of footy. Eh? Like man, it's tough. Like you're like you're you're still a schoolboy, so you're still small, and you're playing against men. And then you think you're better than them, and then they like remind you that they're actually bigger and stronger than you at the moment. So like, they, they really put you back in your place. Though. So it was a good experience, where coming out of school and um, trying to run around men. But yeah, I got got dealt to a couple of times. Though. Would you say that the environment at Hutt played a big part in how well you were playing, or like were they quite accepting of your younger fellas? Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. So in my junior rugby, I played with um, two boys that ended up leaving school at the same time as me, and we all went back to um, hut together. So it was cool to like to, our junior rugby ended up our senior rugby together. So that was pretty cool. And then we had um, guys like Tomasi Alasio and Opi um, Pelusuma from Stream that sort of like, was sort of like a bridge, like a pathway for Stream boys to go to um, hut. So that helped as well. Yeah. And, like the the coaching staff and the um like the support management system that they had at Hutt were like awesome man like yeah really looked after us young fellas there. What is it about Hutt bro? Like is it well, I guess there's a sort of Marist element that goes into it. Yeah, you know, quite a few of the Marist schools in the area bro. But like when you see the the turnout at Huddle Boys trainings, you know they've sort of even usurped like the Tonys bro, which was typically the strongest club in Wellington. So like, can you pin it on an individual or? There's a few individuals that like really work hard to build that club up. Like um, the Audi at the moment, um, Nick Risman's doing a bloody good job of like recruiting young guys. And I mean, like everyone that goes there just wants to go to get better. So like everyone's there for like rugby, and I mean like everyone's like good people off the field as well. So like it's, it's like not a hard place to go and train because you know you're gonna enjoy it either way. Yeah. yeah. So you're at heart. You have a main season there, and then you ended up being a part of the 19s, the first under-19s tournament, and you guys, you win that, um, you play a bit of a leading role, and then you get called into the Lions, so was what was that like, bro, being called into, I guess, a professional team, like, having been, you know, less than 12 months removed from school? I got 
called into it like uh, after the club season. So as soon as the club season finished and we celebrated that, you know, got um, called into training for Lions and it was bro, it was like a big wake up call for me, eh, from like from being an amateur to going to a semi professional environment. Like oh, I had a lot to learn around uh, a way to train and like nutrition and stuff like that. So it was like a big wake up call for me and um, like I learned a lot in those first couple of weeks and then um, Wellington weren't going the best so I got an opportunity to um, actually play three games for them eh? and then like, we still weren't, <laughs> still weren't going the best I think we won one game at the end of the year so towards the back end of that line season um, a few of us got let go and got sent back to um, under 19s and oh, that was mean bro like, we had an awesome culture we had an awesome coach and um, like he had good support systems around him too so yeah we had like a mean team and um, yeah ended up going all the way through and um, beating Auckland in the semi which we weren't supposed to do and um, then yeah beat Canterbury in the final which was mean you talk about being called in and then um, yeah like you said Wellington weren't obviously going all that well that year and you get an opportunity and then sort of baptism by fire bro they sort of just throw you in there and it's sort of sink or swim like as someone who's sort of been around the game for a fair while now like looking back like, if, say, for example, if you're a coach, do you think that's the best way to sort of test a player, whether or not he's good enough to play at that level, or is it more about easing them in? Oh, I reckon if they've, like, got good leadership and, like, um, like good like, role models around them, then it's a good way to for them to learn to just be thrown out there. But, the like, the team that we had, there was, like, a lot of the guys that are getting thrown out there, so there wasn't much leadership to look forward to, like, like leadership to look to for guidance and stuff like that, so... And I was first five, so I was in like a pivotal role. But like the whole team's looking at me, and I'm still like a young fella, like not knowing much, or not knowing too much about code. So yeah, it was, it was bloody tough, bro. Yeah, yeah. This always seems like an interesting one, eh? Like, because I guess like one of the talks at the moment that I get into quite heatedly is around like you guys at the moment with the Canes and like finding the replacement for Bodie, and like everyone's quick to sort of bag um, Fletcher and Jackson. But I think like the thing that people have to remember is that well, one, you're never going to replace Bowden, and two, is that these guys are still like 24, 23, so they're still like crazy young, and that you know, like like you said, like being at first five, which is such a pivotal position, like you can't just expect them to go out there and like sort of light the world on fire. I don't think people realise like how big a jump it is from wider teams to the. Definitely, they're not going to place the best place the best player in the world, you know, like it's they're not even all black shit, you know, so they still got to like build their confidence up and be able to run the team as well but they've got good support systems inside and outside they've got TJ and Nani there so helps I mean they're both like pretty mean players so if they were both fit it'll be good to see them like fired out to see who gets that starting jersey yeah totally bro but yeah like you said I guess depending on what sort of environment you're in like when you get chucked in that sort of situation it helps that you have like the right people around you especially with experienced size like you said with TJ but um yeah we'll crack him back to you though so you play at Wellies and then you carve up at the 19s and then going into the following year you get called into the Samoan 20s because I mean you've, we've been around a fair few rep sides but sort of looking back at that experience and maybe uh, you know because people hear about you know the, the lack of resources that the typically the island nations have so like what was like the trial like did you go over to Samoa at all and then maybe talk us through like even going over to Italy bro and being in that sort of environment you know in Europe um so yeah, it was a Australian trial, a New Zealand trial, and a trial in Samoa for the um, Samoa 20s. So I just went to the one in Auckland um, over, the, over a weekend. 
um, stayed at my uncle's place. Um, it was alright. Um, it was just like a whole like two levels of footy players there. Like there was heaps of like young sixteen year olds that thought they were in with a shot to make it a under twenties um, national team, which they completely weren't. So um, yeah, um, the child like got rid of those guys pretty quickly, and then they picked the squad to. Um, trained together for the World Cup. We had like a little pre-tournament um, in Australia against um, the NZ20s, the Aussie20s and the Japanese20s. Um, that was pretty cool. So we had three weeks, two or three weeks camp before that and then we were over in Aussie for two or three weeks playing that competition which set us up quite nicely to um, go to the World Cup in Italy which was like, it was a main experience. So like a just I think maybe ten, nine or ten um, local boys for Samoa. They've like never been out of Samoa, so it was a good experience for them to go and travel the world, pretty much. Um, and then yeah, it was mean though. Like um, would have like church every night, so it was mean to like learn a little, a little like, more about my culture and sing hymns and things like that. And yeah, yeah it was mean though. Yeah. And what was it? Was this your first time, like, going overseas, maybe outside of, like, Australia? So I went on a family trip to Samoa in 2011, so, like, I picked up a little bit of the culture when I was over there. But, yeah, other than that, it was pretty much, yeah, it was my first time over overseas on a long-haul flight. Yeah, you talk about that as well with, with the local boys from Samoa, bro. Like, can you remember any, like, the reactions, like, even going over there or...? Did the guys sort of hold it together pretty well? So there was one boy that was in the team the year before, um, so he was pretty used to the professional or the semi-professional environment sort of thing, so he was pretty used to it, but then the other boys, a few of them were quite young, and it was, yeah, it was just a whole, like, you could just see in their eyes, like, they were seeing things that they've never seen before, and eating foods that they've never eaten before, like, yeah, it was pretty cool to see, yeah. Alright, so then you... Roll over from that season, and did you play club footy in Wellington the following year? I played after the Samoa tournament. Yep. I played before at the start of the season. Right. And then, and then straight from the um, when the World Cup finished, I went straight back to um, the Bay of Plenty because Clayton McMillan was my Wellington under 19s coach, and he got the job at uh, head coach at. Bay Plenty Steamers, so he told me to come up for an opportunity, and um, I went straight there after the World Cup, and then yeah, they ended up signing me for that season. Yeah. Did you roll straight into the twenty-three, or did you sort of do it your way in? Uh, I was still like pre-season and stuff at that point, so it was still like I was playing for Rangatoa, uh, which is my club up there, and then had a few pre-season games. I think we were in Fakatani in pre-season, yeah. Had a few pre-season games in Fakatani and then I was lucky enough to yeah, get a start actually. I think the first game was against North Harbour at Bay Park, which they don't have anymore. How'd that go? To be fair, bro, it was, it was pretty positive, eh? Um, like the previous two years, I think the, the Bay of Phoenix Demons had won three games in two years, so the record wasn't that good. Um, any up there, so like there was a few of us that sort of outside the region that come in and then yeah we ended up winning that game like celebrated like we won the whole whole season eh, which was me and then yeah. we ended up winning a, like a few games that year eh, so it was pretty good to start, start building a, a winning culture 
And I mean, you played pretty well that year, and then you ended up being picked up by the Chiefs for the following Super season. And so, what what was preseason like? You know, what was you finish up this um, ITN Cup or ITN Cup or whatever it was called back then? And then you had the role of the preseason, bro. Was that an even bigger wake up call, or did you sort of learn your lessons by the time you got to that stage? That yeah, that was an even bigger wake up call, bro. Um, because when I went up to the bay, it was sort of like if you if you play well then everything's all right. Like they're not too worried about your nutrition because whatever you're doing's working. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be like pulling games out of my ass, like actually playing all right. But my nutrition still wasn't the best. Like I left home, so I had to start cooking my own meals and start looking after myself like that. Um, so then when I got into the like the Chiefs environment, I come in overweight. Uh, my skin falls were high, and I was weak as fuck. So like it was it was tough, bro. It was grueling. And then um. Two weeks early, because um, I had a problem with my knee, and then from that two weeks, I just got smashed pretty much every single day, right up to um, before Christmas when we got um, released for the Christmas break. Yeah. Because I mean, I've asked a few of the boys about like all the stuff that goes into pre-season, bro. But like, and I think like even like looking at now, say for example, if you guys rock back up until the season now, and you probably have to go from some through some sort of like mini camp or pre-season like do you like as a player I guess you have to embrace it because you know you get paid to do it and you love playing footy but like is it um is it light health like is it actually really that bad that that Chiefs that first Chiefs pre-season that I did was the hardest pre-season that I've ever done um but that was probably just because I come in so out of shape that it was so hard for me but yeah pre-season's like that's when we actually earn our money, eh? Like, man, it's it's very, very hard. Um, you just get thrashed for four-week four blocks at a time, eh? Like, your, your body's sore. You're waking up, rolling out of bed, broken, and then going to train in the morning and then afternoon, and your body's broken. You just, like, ruin yourself even more, eh? It's a funny one, eh? Because like, I see the keyboard warriors when they sort of start piping up on uh, you know, Facebook or whatever else or and stuff and they talk about, you know, like the different players are being lazy or they aren't performing and yada yada yada. But so obviously like knowing a few of you boys and knowing that goes into it, bro. They talk about, you know, like I'd do this, you know, if I got paid X amount of dollars, but I don't think people actually realise like or I don't actually think like your average Joe would actually be able to go through like a week of preseason training, like from sort of the stuff that I hear. Like it's actually like a hell bro. Like Yeah. Well, they might be able to get through like a couple, they might be able to get through like two or three days, but when you get to like week two and week three, it's it's grueling, bro. Like, you, your body just wants to give up, eh? But you just know you can't because like your boys are your boys are doing the same thing, your boys are hurting the same amount as you are. So, like, yeah, a lot of people yeah. say that they can do it, but nah. But I mean, that's the thing though, as well. Like, there's obviously the, the ability part that goes into rugby, but then it's also like the the hard work and stuff that gets, you know, that people don't see. Like you said, with nutrition, I mean, some boys are, are fortunate enough that they got a decent enough metabolism to burn stuff off, but you hear about some of the diets that some boys have to go through, like giving up bread and all that other stuff, and then the running on top of that, and then all the weights, and yeah, like, like people people like to think that they could do it because you're getting paid X amount of money, bro, but like I think what you learn, or like even guys in your position will admit, like, well, a lot of the time, like, it's so easy to fall out of love with that. Yeah. All the other stuff that comes with it. Ah, uh, man, yeah, yeah. There's, like, a lot of sacrifices that you need to make to 
actually be able to do what I like. Because I was never like the the best player. Like there was always like boys that were better than me. But I just yeah, trained hard, worked hard on my fitness. That was the main thing that um, kept me like I was fitter than most people. So that was like the thing that helped me a lot. And then once I started getting my nutrition in track, like it was pretty easy to um, like train at those high levels and get those high level demands. But then as soon as you like stop stop training that hard or you stop eating right, like you go backwards real fast, eh? So it'll be interesting to see um like what kind of nick the boys come back in um after this break. Eh? I mean, on that on that point of nutrition, bro, you've you've, you've mentioned it a few times. Like what's like something for you personally if you don't mind sharing that I don't know, something that you I guess there's everyone loves takeaways, but is there even like little things that people wouldn't even know that you've had to give up just to, you know, get that little 1% better? Oh, uh, bro, I'm pretty much on, like, chicken salads um, what, most of the week, so, like, breakfast and, oh, breakfast I have, like, uh, breakfast and muesli, um, maybe eggs on toast, but then all training weeks, like, Monday to Friday is usually chicken salad, eh? and then I'll have maybe, like, two cheap meals where I stick up on whatever I want to eat just to keep me sane. But yeah, mainly just chicken salad. I can't eat too much carbs, otherwise it makes me fat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so you did the preseason at Chiefs. It's like hell, and then you roll into the following season. What sort of learnings did you take away from even just being in that sort of environment? And what was it like for you, like having obviously not playing all that much for the Chiefs that first year? You know, what's that experience like playing club footy but still being involved in that setup? And like, was it frustrating? As a competitor, because I mean, at the end of the day, like you want to be up there and playing at that top level because you're already in that environment. Yes, yeah, so that first year I sort of knew that I was sort of at like the, the back of the pack, stuck behind a few like world class wingers and fullbacks. So um, I just knew that I had to learn and try to get better, like sort of watch what they were doing off the field and all those extra skill blocks that they were doing and what they were doing in the gym to try and be able to compete with them. Um, so that first year was pretty much just all, all learning for me there. Yeah. Then what's that like though? Because I've asked the boys that question as well. Like at first, I know it can be easy to sort of be starstruck because you know you're watching guys that you know are playing for the All Blacks or that have you know been playing for the Chiefs for X amount of time. But then when you get into that environment, you sort of have to put that sort of stuff to the side because like, ultimately you, you know you're there to earn your place and play your minutes. But was that something that you adjusted to quite quickly, or like have you, is it just not your way of nature, like? Being happy because you want to be boys with them, mate. Yeah, I still struggle with it now, bro. That's why, like, I don't find myself getting much game time and stuff like that. Like, there's guys that go to work and like they play a game every single time they go to work. Whereas I just can't. Yeah, like if I'm training against one of my mates, bro, I just can't. I can't try and show him up. I can't tackle him. You know, like I, because he's my mate. I, I don't want to do it. So, at training, my training is a bit more relaxed. But I've like flicked the switch when it's game time, and for like coaches, they sort of want to see that at training so I find myself missing out on a lot of opportunities because I don't show it at training I'm sort of have to let them trust me that I can just bring it out in the game which a lot of coaches <laughs> don't really do yeah yeah but you've obviously built up that sort of trust with um I guess the likes of like Jason Holland and Craig McMillan like is it something that they've come to you about or is it something that you know you talk about in your own one-on-ones nah bro yeah so that's taken a lot of time like I've been at the Canes for this will be this is my first contracted year, but I've been there for three years now, so it's taken a, a, like a long time. I mean, there's still like world class guys that have, have been there, and I sort of only got lucky that I got up 
given an opportunity because of injuries, so I could actually show that what I could do on the rugby field. Because at the tra- like on the training field, I, I'm just two different people there. Like I just can't train the same way that I play. It's just it's hard for me to do that to my mates. So. Thing like, do you think that you'll ever be able to sort of flip that switch, or is it sort of just like you said something that I guess coaches have to live with and trust? Yeah, I just yeah something I can't do, bro. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're in that environment. You take a lot of learnings away. You try and I guess act like a sponge around like the likes of um Daniel McKenzie and James Lowe and whoever else. But you actually ended up having a, a pretty hard run with injuries. I guess sort of from the start of sort of that first chief season. So maybe talk us through what went into that and whether or not that, you know, you had any, I don't know, self-doubt or whether it actually ever crept into your mind about what are you going for? Yeah, yeah. So I hurt my knee, like I was saying. So pre-season was tough. And then um, I ended up touring some ligaments in my elbow, playing club footy later that year. And then I went back to Mata 10 after that first year at the Chiefs of learning. Um, and then I fractured the top of my tibia first game of the season. And then the last game of the season, I um, broke my ankle, split the synesmosis. So that put me out of um, rugby for nine months. And that was pretty much most of my um, Chiefs year. The second year, for a footy player, being injured is the hardest time of your life or hardest time of your career, eh? Like, it's just so mentally draining, knowing that you're so far off playing footy again, but you still have to trust the process and go in and work every day, knowing that you're still six, nine, twelve months away from playing again. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, it's even worse when you can't, obviously, like, walk around ably because, you know, you've got your leg hurt. Oh, yeah. What was it for you, bro? Like, were you parked up for the first eight weeks, or, like, what, what was the process? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the first, I think, two or three weeks was pretty much in bed most of the time, eh? Um, only getting up to go toilet and stuff like that, go shower, so um, that was tough. And then, but once you get used to the crutches, I mean, they're all right. And then from crutches, you move to the moon boot, and then from moon boot, you start your rehab, but you're still months away from like running and doing team stuff. So you're going into training and you're pretty much training with other, like the rest of the injured boys and you don't feel a part of the team. But, you know, fortunately you did sort of find your way through it, I guess with the support systems you had around you, you sort of had the mental fortitude sort of built up and then you go into 2017 uh, and of course the Lions toured and I guess with all of the uh, other opportunities that some of the, the All Blacks had, they went around for the Chiefs set up. So you ended up playing your first game for the Chiefs against the Lions. Talk us through that experience, bro. I think that was like three or four weeks back after my ankle, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty. It was pretty good to like go through that journey of my broken ankle to coming out of it and like getting an opportunity to play in front of a packed out Waikato Stadium. There, yeah, it's like a moment in my life that I'll never forget. Um, it was awesome. The Lions supporters were were awesome. The Chiefs supporters were awesome. Um, the game didn't go too well for us. I played alright personally, but it's always hard when you lose by 10, 20, 30 points. Yeah. Did you expect to play? Um, I sort of knew that there was going to be a few guys out with all black jerseys and stuff like that, so I knew I was in with an opportunity. I just sort of had to 
make sure that I was available and I was ready and checking all my boxes so I was physically ready and then yeah just lucky enough that there was no boys left pretty much to pick and they, yeah gave me an opportunity and I ended up playing um most of the game um Tony Pulley um I think broke his ankle or did something to his knee maybe eight minutes into the first half so I was on pretty early and yeah got to play most of the game which is good yeah like you said bro like I went to the All Black game in Wellington, and so I know what the the Lions crowd are like. And obviously, like whenever you play it out in front of a packed stadium, and but then on top of that, for you, bro, like it's your debut, and you're sort of getting thrust into that environment pretty early. Like you probably wouldn't even have done a proper warm up. Like, do you I mean? Do you did you get nervous like before you went on? Like, do you get nervous typically before games or? Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Usually, always get nervous. Like, but that game, I had extra nerves. Really, like, yeah, I probably like came out of the sheds too early like too eager too excited to warm up so I was warm and ready to go for <laughs> but from kicked off so it was all good that I was warmed up and ready um, but yeah it was, it was crazy bro like packed out Waikato Stadium couldn't fit any more people in it so it was awesome to be able to play in front of a crowd like that eh? well I can only imagine so you get that opportunity and that season finishes up and then you roll into the 2017 Mighty um, 10 Cup. Uh, how did that go for the Bay that year? Uh, we actually went alright, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, we struggled early on at the start and then um, we sort of found our mojo towards the end of the season and then I think it was like maybe halfway through the season where we started to win most games to be able to give ourselves a shot with the semi final and final and ended up making it all the way to the final and playing Wellington. Um, at the stadium and just falling short of that um, that game went to overtime so um, came close just not close enough that year yeah, that was a crazy game bro I remember watching that game it was like it was stupid like the amount of points that had been scored and then when I went to overtime and I remember like I think Jackson missed a kick to win it like earlier on um, before I think maybe going to overtime like full time yeah yeah <laughs> But I mean, what was that experience like for you, bro? Because you're obviously like a boys with most of the guys from Wellington. Like, you, you talked about not being able to flip the switch at training against playing against your uh, training against your mates. But like, what was it like when you played against your mates? Are you wanting to go out there and kill them? Or? I'll not really kill them, but just make sure that they're not the ones that like step me or bump me off or things like that, so they can't like give me some banter about it afterwards. So just making sure that I do my job around them and then. Yeah, just try and play my best. Even like, like I said, like when I get on to rugby field and it's a game, I'm just going balls to the wall, bro. I'm just trying to play the best that I can. Eh? So it was mean to like go to Wellington and play in front of my family in a final. So it was a good thing that Wellington were in the final, so my family could see it was just not the result that I wanted that day. Yeah. Fair enough. And then um, I remember reading that uh, you were obviously disappointed that no sort of super contract came following the end of that season so you ended up getting called into the Canes wider training squad for the following year so yeah when the season finished we got called a given opportunity to go play um for a sevens development team over in um america um but yeah quickly found out that that wasn't quite for me um those guys worked too hard and for the amount of footy that they played uh, just to me wasn't really worth it so um, got given a call by Chris Boyd to do a pre-season um, with the Canes and um, try and fight for a, um, like a 
placement player spot for the year. Um, and then, yeah. Is it a bit of footy back at heart as well? I guess, like, obviously not being able to get the opportunity with some of the, the superstars in the back line and your posse in Wellington, but then you play the, the minor 10 season um, at uh, the Bay again. And then was it sort of the same process that following, like, you know, going into the end of 2018, where, like, were the Canes sort of, like, wanting you to come back? Or, like, what was, what was happening there? Nah, so I still, I still went back to um, minor 10, um, playing, trying to play for a contract, um, for a super contract. But unfortunately, that year at the Bay didn't go too well for us. I think we won our first two games. And then I don't think we won a game until maybe um, nine or something like that. We really struggled that year, eh? So... Then it was the first year that I was at the Bay and we didn't make um, playoffs there, so it was pretty, pretty gut-wrenching. And then, yeah, not being a, picking up another super contract um, was tough too, like mentally not knowing where I was going to be again for another year. I was lucky enough that they wanted me back in for the same sort of thing, um, sign a four-week contract and then um, see if they wanted me around for the rest of the season. Yeah. Did you ever think about going overseas at that stage? Yeah, bro. Yep. Yep. We're trying to like get over to Japan, um, try to get some life experience, um, travel a little bit, but there was nothing really, really going for me, and um, my agent sort of just told me to sort of hold out, hold on a little bit longer, and um, just hope that you get an opportunity, and then you get an opportunity to take it. So um, yeah, stayed around. Um, Cause the thing about in, like a replacement player, you only get signed like two weeks at a time or four weeks at a time. So when you when you're contract comes to an end after two weeks they'll give you a call on a Saturday or a Sunday and tell you that you're extended for another two or three weeks so that that was tough not not knowing where I was going to be for months on end yeah. one month at a time so I was lucky enough that yeah they just keep wanting me to stay and then um, yeah ended up getting an opportunity which is quite cool yeah. well, we'll, we'll get to the opportunity bro, but, but even on that note so I guess you're you're fortunate with the cane setup being in Wellington that like you said you, you can park up at home but I guess for boys that are out of town, like will they literally like come down, be down here for you know, like you said, two to four weeks, and then you're told, oh no, sorry, we don't need you, and then have to go back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's guys that'll like come from outside the region, sometimes even just for a week, they'll fly down for the week, and then at the end of the week, fly back home. There's guys that live outside of the region that were back and forth throughout the whole season, maybe travelling six or seven times. Like sign for two weeks and then go home and then there'll be an injury that weekend so they have to come back next week and yeah just crazy bro like. but this is something you don't care about though because like everyone just thinks I mean there's there's certainly um, a rock star element that comes to being a professional footy player in New Zealand with all the other sort of glitz and glam stuff but like like you said for some of those who probably aren't established but are still sort of wanting to pursue their dream mate eh? yeah like that sounds so tough yeah the guys on my verge bro it's yeah it's tough mentally because you don't know, like, you can't really plan your life because you want to become a footy player, but you've only got a, like, a injury cover contract for two weeks at a time. So some guys are, like, had a job and they had to tell their boss that, oh, I'm going to be at the Canes for two weeks. Can you hold hold on to that job for me and make sure it's there when I come back? You know? So it was yeah. tough for some guys like that. But for me, I was just lucky enough that there was always, like, someone going injured. There's someone getting injured that would give me an opportunity for to have a two week contract or have a four week contract rather than coming back from an ankle injury or a hamstring injury. Yeah. yeah, and then so that 
the opportunity arises and you get the, the call up for the Brumbies game up in Palmer last year, you ended up playing pretty bloody well. Like, did you feel good going into the game, bro? Or was it just sort of the same old, same old for you? Uh, yeah, um, uh, I, I felt pretty good. Um, it sort of come out of nowhere. Um, I think Geordie was on All Blacks West, so, um, and a few other boys got injured, so I think I got given the opportunity to start, so um, that was pretty good for, like, the headspace, knowing that I would, like, play the whole 80 minutes, I wouldn't have to sit on the bench and just sort of wait. I can come out the gate straight away and try and make my mark on the game, so, from that aspect, it was pretty good, bro, but, yeah, like, the nerves are still through the roof. I mean, like you said, bro, you're, you're a dude that plays with a lot, a lot of flair, and so, like, when you do stuff, is there any sort of element where you actually are thinking about the next move, or is it more like just, you know, assess and react? Uh, I, I sort of think, yeah, yeah. Like, I've got a mindset that I sort of want to, like, be on the highlights reel of the game. Like, I don't want to play a game and then, like, no one, like, you could play a whole 80 minutes of the game and no one even, like, hears your name once. So I try yeah. to get involved as much as I can and, um, like, try and do something special or try and get involved that breaks the game open or, I don't know, scores a try or something like that. So it's, it's always on my mind trying to find an opportunity to get my name out there or have an opportunity to have a crack and score a try and things like that. And then, yeah, you get rewarded from that. You, you string together a few more starts following that game and you roll into uh, uh, last season's ITN Cup and you ended up, or the Bay win the championship. So, I mean, I guess that must have been a big deal for you guys. But then even then, bro, like you had a another standout season. So, like, was did you take, like, heaps of confidence off the back of Super going into the Midasin Cup and then just ended up falling into an awesome environment? Or... We've had like a few years at the Bay where we struggled with culture and things like that. We're all on different pages, and this was the first year that everyone was brought in on the same page, whether it be right or wrong. Everyone was on the same page, and we're all doing the same thing. So, if we were winning together, we were winning together. If we were losing together, we we're doing it together. Everything we've done was together, so that was awesome, bro. And like, like the confidence that and the trust that it, like, like built that season with the players was just awesome, bro. Like. It was the best days of my life. Yeah. I mean, were you, um, I mean, oh, I guess like you said, like, you're a, you're a pretty modest dude when you, know, you talk about your, your accomplishments, bro, but like, I mean, what was like, when you get that Dwayne Maltby medal at the end of the year, uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's like the, the, the MVP of the, the RTM Cup, was that sort of just like the icing on the cake for you for 2019, considering like all that you'd been through and then all that you, you know, you did that year with your footy? Yeah, we had this, um, little um i don't know flat rule probably you call it um that if whoever got player of the day or that Dwayne won two three points then the other flat flatmates had to do a triceratops so um but mitch carpet got a few in um 2018 um so i had to do a few triceratops in and then yeah i just i don't know um commentators liked me and liked the style i played that i played so i got a few points there and he had to do a few triceratops in there. <laughs> So that was probably like my main motivation as long as I was getting it, he wasn't getting it. Yeah. Um, Alright, bro. <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap up the footy with the triceratops. But um, what do you get up to on the day off? On a day off, sleep. The same sort of thing, just try and catch up on sleep as much as I can. Um, maybe get into the pool and do a little bit of recovery or go on like a nice little bike run, get a bit of recovery, and then see what the boys are up to usually. Go shoot some hoops or something like that or catch up with them for a feed. And, 
brother's got two nieces that I'll catch up with too, so it's your time nice. day, fills my time. Yeah. Sweet cuz. Um so what I like to do with or what I've done with all the other boys that I've got on is that I've got a, a segment to wrap up the show, bro. It's called Ten in the Bin. So I've just got I've got ten questions for you, bro, and you just gotta answer them. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh go through vessel, get the projects on a night out. I like lime cruises, eh, bro? I can bang lime cruises. <laughs> Fair enough. Who's the biggest coach's pet you've been around? Biggest coach's pet? That's a hard one, bro. I can't even think of it. No, I couldn't say anyone out. I don't even know. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, what's your must-do on a day off? Sleep. Catch up on sleep. Uh, least favourite fitness block? We do this one where you run 50, me- 50 metres and back for time, and then you have to do um, exercises in the recovery time. You have to do 12 rounds of that, um, and then two minutes rest, and then repeat it. That's probably like the toughest session I've ever done it. Alright, uh, favourite sheet meal? Uh, chicken and chips, basically chicken and chips. Do you want to make a shout out to any particular bakery? Wife or two? None? Wife or two, bro, yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> Most regretful water purchase, bro. So, what have you gone out and splashed a whole lot of money on, and then like the next day or week been like, oh, I did not need to buy that. Bro, nice out of town, mate. <laughs> oh, bro, everyone loves a generous guy, though. Yeah. <laughs> You're paying. <laughs> oh, um, guilty music pleasure. I like um, I like a lot of like movie soundtracks. At the moment, the the um, the Mamma Mia, right? Mamma Mia one and two. Oh, bro. All right. Um, best pickup line or dance move? Uh, I don't even think of any. Yeah, fair enough, bro. That, that one's for my own personal notebook, bro. So, yeah, that's not too bad about not answering it. <laughs> All right, uh, who's the biggest grub you've played with and against? Biggest grub? Um, I don't know if it be Ben May or Dane Coles, bro. Tell it. They're just cheats, bro. Ben Barson's that cheat. Yeah. All right, last question, bro. And I, I already know how you're going to answer this, but just finish the sentence for me. Saturdays are for the. Boys. Yes. No one said anything different yet. I'm just, I'm still holding out for the first guy to say something other than the boys, eh? So I've got, I've got no idea who it's going to be, whether or not anyone ever will, bro. But anyway, bro, um, like I said beforehand, thank you very much for jumping on the podcast, bro. Um, Again, uh, like I said with the other boys, hopefully we get back on the field and we get back to watching you guys do what you do best. And above all, bro, just stay safe and I guess try and keep the motivation levels high enough to train. Yeah, cheers, brother. No worries, Chase. All right, I'll catch you up, man. Cheers, bro. Take care. Good to chat with you.